Well, hello everyone. Today I am joined by a new friend who I am just getting to know, Andrew Kemet Miller. Um, well, let me just pronounce it, Andrew <laughs> Kemet Miller. Yes. Did I pronounce it right? It's Kemet Mueller, but you know, with a name like this for my whole life, uh, that's not the worst. <laughs> <laughs> because I bet you, kids your age or even teachers probably had a hard time just pronouncing your last name back in the day. I have a vivid memory of being about five years old and going to the doctor and being so proud that I could spell my last name fast. Oh, and having yeah. a memory of being able to spell your last name fast means I was pretty old. We were just talking about this right before we jumped on. What does it mean? Is there a certain culture it's tied into here, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, Mueller's pretty normal, um, but I'm here in Chicagoland. And so forever I've been looking for what Kemet might might mean. But we wound up with a tight end here in Chicago uh, with a last name Komet. Yes. Uh, and so I thought, boy, that name sounds really familiar. So I looked up the meaning and in Slovenian, it means peasant. So I thought, okay, so my family is sort of from the Austrian area, which is, you know, bordering Slovenia down in the mountains. And so maybe my family were a bunch of, you know, not, not noble millers or something like that, you know, peasant millers out there. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Where, where did you grow up, Andrew? In Minnesota. I was uh, born kind of in the Western, they're suburbs now, but it was pretty rural when I grew up there, um, but born in Minnesota back in the seventies. Yeah. Totally free, free roaming farmland country. <laughs> you are currently now the managing director of Elevate Innovations. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about that, but yeah. talk to yeah. me about your work journey, uh, journey from Minnesota to how you got to where you are right now, because you spent a lot of time in the airline industry from talking with you when we were together. Yeah. So I, I, um, I went to a small college in Minnesota called St. Olaf College um, in a place called Northfield, Minnesota. And I love their town motto, which is cows, colleges, and contentment. I always thought that was a fantastic motto for a town, right? And um, and went to school there for economics and Asian studies uh, and thought in, in my time there that I would wind up uh, spending time primarily in Asia doing work either with a think tank, uh, doing economics work in a think tank or working for a Japanese organization. And um, while I was there, um, happened to meet someone who became my future wife and uh, changed my entire life plans in a pretty significant way. Um, so decided, well, this is a little bit more important, or at least a lot more interesting than what I was talking about before. And uh, we've been married since 1999 now with uh, twin boys. So it worked out, I would say. Um, but then got into telecom originally, uh, was doing work in, uh, in that area and in data technology. Mm -hmm. And that got me into the airline business. So I worked for a company called Air Inc from about 2001, right after 9-11 and helping them on Wi-Fi specifically, which uh, is a background of mine, and then helping them uh, as their head of research and development for about five or six years. And uh, unfortunately, we built the credit card system on the airplane. So for everyone that buys meals on a plane, I apologize. Um, oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. yeah that, that was one, <laughs> that was one of our projects, but uh, we we had a we had a great team that was set up. And you know, Tony, one of the things I love in business is the opportunity to work and build teams. Yeah. So the idea of working with technology is something I've always enjoyed doing. I'm a tinkerer from the 
from the beginning. But being able to find and create groups of people who are passionate and curious and being able to explore together and find these new ways of doing things has always been a passion of mine. So I worked in that business for a while and then, you know, continued on for about the next 15 or so years in that uh, in that industry. Yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned about helping people identify what they're passionate about. Did you notice that? I mean, looking back at your journey when you were a little kid, did you see seeds of that even as you were growing up as a youngster? Great question. Um, so I was always the guy who put the group together or the gang together. Yeah. Um, where we lived growing up behind us was a cow pasture. And one day the cows broke out of the cow pasture uh, and into the neighborhood. Now you've got to imagine this is one of those, you know, 1960s, you know, suburban neighborhoods with, you know, the houses all neatly there. And when we saw that the cows had broken out, we thought we were the, you know, young guns to, to quote the old, the old movie back there with, uh, with Charlie Sheen and the crew. I mean, we hopped on our bikes and we chased those cows around the whole neighborhood. Um, yeah, like we were cowboys. And so, you know, from the beginning of my time, it was always about kind of getting people together and trying to do things that somebody's maybe never done before or something exciting. So, yeah, I think the seeds were there, but, um, the one thing that's interesting as you get older in your life and, and have more experience is learning how much you start to care about what others are doing and yeah. less about the stuff you're bringing into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because you of all your memories as a kid, that memory of the cows stick out. Like, for instance, mm -hmm. even for me, I asked you that question because even as a younger boy, it wasn't just playing with my toys, my G.I. Joe's and right. him. it was forming <laughs> and building their little bases and headquarters. I was always fascinated about how to right. build it. After that, I was done. I was ready to move on. And I wanted to rebuild it again. And I started realizing I enjoy building things. Yeah. I, I I love the idea of not doing something the same twice. Yeah. And and that can drive my family uh, a little bit bonkers sometimes because, um, you know, I won't want to go to the same store twice. I won't want to drive the same street twice. I'm a biker, too, and I won't bike and come back on the same road. So uh, it's a it's a little quirk of mine. But the curiosity that's there drives the same thing you're talking about. Like you want to tinker, you want to explore, you yeah. want to test, you want to you want to probe. And I think there's a lot in this world of discovery. And I love the idea of discovery in this world. I mean, we are given, my kids are huge fans of, of movies and their interests range all over the place, but they, they talk often now about this concept of Easter eggs where they plant, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. they, they plant these things into the movies. I mean, I love the idea. It's an Easter egg, Tommy, right? Because God planted like Easter eggs, so to speak, all over this world for us to find. I mean, yeah. the whole concept of science is discovery. And I love being, you know, a person that works with engineering, a person that works in product development and can explore what happens in this world and discover it. Yeah. More so, he also planted Easter eggs all throughout the patterns of our life. And we right. start seeing, and it's not like when you get older, then you start reflecting. That makes a lot of sense. That's mm -hmm. why I do certain things. That's why I was placed in those situations. Exactly. Yep. He knew where we were going and he, yep. he, he put us on the path. Now we get to make decisions about where we're going, but he definitely put us on the right path. Yep. Now, at the same time, I know a lot of times you may not like doing things twice where 
I like rhythm is the insignificant things in my life. Like for instance, I have to wear the same brand of socks. I buy five of same shirts because I don't need to think about it. So I just wear the same thing over and over. It drives my wife crazy. Because oh, sure. Different, but I'll wear the same thing over and over again. But isn't the genius in life that the two of us can be on this podcast together and having this great conversation and we're just so different like that? Yeah. But loving the rest of the world together. Yeah. And that that's just the glory of the differentiation that comes in this world. I mean, I am trouble often as a disruptor. Um, my approach in, in most of product development is around disruptive innovation as opposed to the idea of linear innovation and, and process improvement. We're more about process disruption with the work that we do. But process improvement is a, is a requirement for this world to work. I mean, we need the mixture of people in this world, right? Yeah. We can't all be the same. And so the wonderful the wonderfulness is in the fact that the two of us can do this together. Now, with that said, we're going to talk about business now and that stuff, but you also are very involved in your church and you go to this wonderful church, Wheaton Bible Church. I but I find that a lot of times with churches, with my personality, they don't always get me all the time. <laughs> you, know, you have to apply all your skills in a church setting where right. sometimes there's processes, sometimes there's traditional way of doing things. And so you come in and kind of disrupt everything. But And I find sometimes you can't share all your ideas or you're just going to overwhelm everyone. You can, and I think that's been a, pro, a journey and a walk in my own faith faith life to uh, to work with because uh, churches are, it, it, the church I go to, Wheaton Bible, is a very large church, and so it's a, a, a wide variety of individuals that go there. It's a, a menagerie of, of different people. It's, it's beautiful to see it. Um, but being a guy who questions, um, you know, why something happens all the time, all the time, and I mean literally all the time, probably wears on uh, on rock, uh, yeah. if, if we can say it that way. Um, I remember I was, uh, I'm big on questions, Tommy, and so I love, there's one question I ask often, which is, uh, you know, do you think Adam had a belly button? Yeah. And uh, I love asking that question, not because there's a biblical answer to it, because there isn't. But it's such an interesting question. And what I love to do is walk into a church and ask people in church that question because I'm not interested in the answer. I'm interested in watching how the person responds to the question. And uh, I, I ask that question in any church I go to just because I love I love to see the pastor or the priest sort of respond to it. You know, what's the what's the uh, pulpit pulpit answer, if you will? Yeah. And then uh, I'm always involved in men's groups. So I love asking the men in the men's group, you know, what, uh, what do you so think? Did you ever find a satisfactory answer? Did he have a belly button here? I'll tell you, it's darn close to 50-50 uh, in terms of answers. So it's really curious to watch why, because the next question is always, well, why do you think that's the case? And so when you start to think about it, you know, did I always kind of say, I think he probably did because the kids would freak out if they didn't see the belly button, right? They'd be like, what's going on? <laughs> why do I have this? And you don't. So, but that's my answer. Other people say, well, they didn't because they were, you know, they were created instead of born. And, and you know, so you get into all these different answers, but it's about 50-50, believe it or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, as a Christ follower, sometimes it is you're trying to balance between challenging the status quo, because sometimes with churches, you can do the same thing over and over again. Hey, look, we got to have small group every single year. We got to follow this process. We got to change. And then now at the same time, 
like in business, if you're not innovating or changing the way, you lose revenue, you lose your competitive uh, competitive edge. And so, in ministry, you're always trying to change uh, to really be able to appeal to different people and culture as well, too. Well, so you bring up. I was actually having this conversation yesterday with somebody, and I and I tied it into an aviation story. So um, when when we saw 9-11 and then we saw with COVID as well, the airlines parked a number of aircraft in the, in the desert. And so they just took their airplanes, they flew them out there and they just basically put them in a parking lot. And it's interesting to see that because an aircraft is designed to fly. The average aircraft is flying anywhere from 15 to 18 hours a day. Uh, so with the time that it's on the ground for an airline, it's losing money. It yeah. needs to be in the, in the air to make money. And so you've got a plane that's intended to be flying most of the time. That means the engines, the systems, everything that's on the aircraft is designed to be in motion. And so when you park a plane and let it sit there for a month, things lock, things get stuck, things settle. Stuff that's not intended to be somewhere for a long period of time is and so what you get is a real problem with inactivity and i was using this example to talk about even in systems like our church when we do something the same way for too long without really sort of spinning it and getting it checked again you know we kind of get locked into something and do it the same way we're going to wind up with a problem because it's not designed church isn't designed to stand still yeah. church is designed to spin energy i mean this is an engine of incredible power for god right and it's intended to spin and have all this thrust and propel people and move things forward and if we get stuck without a lot of forward activity or checking on what's going on we can have that problem where we get stuck and the engine won't work anymore and a bunch of the aircraft that were parked had a lot of maintenance that needed to happen because they sat there too long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it happens, I mean, you and I have talked about even global missions is the whole idea a lot of times is, hey, you're, you're going to go out to raise support and you're going to be a missionary. Right on. Or a lot of times mm -hmm. you start a business because you can't get into a country, but you didn't care if it made money or not. The thinking is, is why shouldn't we make money? Why shouldn't we create a project that people, and so that way of, thinking some of those things and then now many people from let's say indonesia or malaysia or something are now coming to the universities here and going back yep. how do you get those guys who are locals to launch businesses and fund some of those things so it's a different way of thinking through some uh, mission tommy that's the that's the part i'm the most excited about right now is what you just talked about which is the idea that we have we have a real gen z gen z if you're speaking english in indonesia but but Gen Z, uh, or, or, or I guess Canada as well, right? Um, but we have a real interest in this generation, a passion for participation, a participation of active, uh, a passion for activism, a passion yeah. for action, a passion to move forward. And I can't imagine that that energy comes from nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the size and the scope of it, there's a, a groundswell behind it that's propelling people forward. It's coming from somewhere and we have to respect the idea that that's coming from somewhere. And so we see this and we see the youth come with this energy and this drive. How do we, as people who have a little bit more experience in this world, find a way to give them the opportunity to do something yeah. themselves? And, and we have this history, I think, in the church, particularly in the missional environment of thinking that we can do it. 
where really our focus and the reason we, we called ourselves Elevate is because we really believe that there's a need for us to bring others up to a level, right? Yeah. Our focus in this world now is on elevating other people into an environment or a role or a position or a program or whatnot that allows them to drive things forward. And when you talk about missions, there's nothing more exciting for me than seeing a bunch of young let's say young Indonesians who have come over here to learn about business or technology or engineering or whatnot, and go back home with this drive and this education and this passion, and they become Christ following icons or scions in their home country, driving, not just for the church, but driving for their country, their country and their society and improving people's yeah. lives in their own, in their own home. Yeah. I, I told you about uh, one individual who, female leader in Indonesia, who was part of our right, research yeah. global cohort, yeah. studied at Columbia, went yeah. back home. Yeah. She's 24,000 employees for wow. factories that provides clothing for all the major clothing brands. How does she think differently? How mm -hmm. does she look at things with a different lens? But at age 26, 27, empower her to do all these things. Contrast that to like a... I once said that to an older American, and he says to me, no, the younger people have to just be quiet, sit still, and submit to their elders, and just not say anything and learn. But that's probably the older way of thinking that you can't apply that now. Well, so so I wrote, so when we started Elevate in 2018, uh, I wrote and put out a white paper called, um, uh, I don't remember the exact title, but it had to do with what I called experience bias. And so I tend to work with a lot of engineers in the aviation world because engineering is really an aviation, uh, aviation is really an engineering profession. And so I tend to spend a lot of time with engineers and engineers have a very long um, history of apprenticeship and a, and a linear path for, for, let's say for their career development. So if you're an engineer, you're going to graduate from university, go into an apprenticeship program or junior engineering program, and you are going to put the time in to get yourself to a specific level. And then you're going to put more time in to get to a, to a manager level and then a senior manager level, but you can't do it too fast. You have to put your time in. And one of the reasons behind that in my observation has been because the people in front of them had to do it. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I had to walk the mountain, and so you're going to have to walk the mountain too. And I think that's dangerous, but it's also perfectly rationally making sense to me. If you've had to go through, you know, like my grandfather had a farm, right? Yeah. And, you know, if you're going to learn how to milk a cow, the best way to learn how to milk a cow is to watch somebody milk a cow. I mean, you don't just walk up to a cow and try and milk a cow, right? There's some knowledge that you need to have before you're going to do it. But that doesn't mean that you have to milk the cow exactly the same way. Yeah, You can change it a little bit. I'm going to get in trouble with my cousins now for saying this. But, you know, there's, way, there's ways you can improve systems. And a curious mind can learn from what people have done before and apply it. And I think there's beautiful, beautiful abilities to share across cultural boundaries yeah. just like that. And, and it's not about having local missionaries only or having... Uh, expats come in and do everything. There's a wonderful way to share and work together and intertwine this into yeah. something that's phenomenal. 
Well, I find even with you, you, you we're about the same age. As an older, you're more of an older white American. Mm-hmm. You have to give away power and show that you're giving away power because mm-hmm. the American brand still holds a lot of credibility around the world. And when you walk in, they'll defer to you now as the, the leader, you're going to have to show what it means to build into them, develop mm-hmm. the confidence, have ownership in those things. And I think a lot of times that's probably key for us versus it's so easy to tell people what to do. Yeah, it's really funny you say that because I've never, ever actually felt that way. I've I've worked internationally for my entire career, and so I never actually feel I have a whole lot of power. Uh, and I didn't grow up in a, in, a, in a family that had a whole lot of wealth or income, so I didn't really kind of develop that. And when you're actually, if you really want to know the truth, rural, rural parts of countries are probably the most flat sociologically the most flat cultural groups that there are i mean everybody's exactly the same (laughs) at least in the u.s when we start talking about farming culture um and intentionally so they'll knock you down a peg if you try to try to jump up a little too far but where where i'm coming from now in terms of being able to share out it's a passion from the inside tommy i mean i feel it because we have a savior that came down who was was infinitely better than we were and didn't make any it didn't take on any ears about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he came down and we couldn't compare to his toenail and he still made us his best friends and he still yeah. hung out with us and he still spent time teaching us even when we wouldn't listen. Yeah. He was yeah. infinitely patient. Just, I mean, he went by rabbi teacher, right? I mean, like if we're going to follow this guy, we have to feel this humility in teaching others because that's really what his mission was in the end. And he somehow had to get in a bunch of fishermen, tax collectors, and a variety of different people who saw themselves as significant to really be able to learn to work together as a team. That blows my mind. Anyone who's tried to put a team together, if you started to list out roles and responsibilities and you try to match up the people that he brought in, you would never make those two <laughs> I mean, there's no way from a, I mean, speaking from a corporate perspective, there's no way you'd ever match those two together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he had something extra. That's an easy thing to say. <laughs> I love the innovations. You and yeah. I sat down, I was very intrigued by some of your projects. Are you allowed yeah. to share about some of the fun projects that you're working on? Or, uh, what yeah, sure. We can talk about a couple of them. Yeah. Yeah. Which one, which one were you looking to talk about specifically? Because uh-huh. we're working on a heck of a lot of different things. I love the concept of fighting fires. Oh yeah. Okay. So, um, so again, coming back to sort of where I grew up and the idea of solving problems, you know, we're, we're constantly, we've built an organization here at Elevate where we do really want to raise up and, and bring, uh, we originally started the organization as a way to bring folks that are not management into an area where they can work on innovation and become digital leaders uh through mentorship and through opportunities to work on projects directly and so we started the company that way but we're all teachers we love the idea of working with people and feeding into them experience and ways to find things and so forth so um i was in kenya uh last november uh on a different program and we were looking around uh in nairobi clearly there's uh about half the population of Nairobi, it lives in slums. Yeah, uh, they have seven, I think seven or eight, um, very very large ones that are that are around there. And uh, we were with some local population, and, and I was asking them, you know, like how do how do some of these things work? Because I'm a curious person in general, and I was more interested about. I was asking questions like, 
how do they get those lights to turn on? Because how do they get electricity? I mean, it's, it's a slum, right? So like they're not pulling electrical lines into the, into the community. And, you know, then I'm hearing about how it's, it's being done. And then I ask, well, how do they do water distribution? Because I see water, water well areas that are, that are being managed, but you know, it's not being done by a company. How do they manage it? And we're starting to dig into this. And one of the things that came up was the problem of fire, which apparently, you know, and I'm, I'm not a guy who has really worked in this part of the world directly myself too much before, but it's a tremendous problem, not only in Kenya, but all over the world. And so we started to talk about the idea of how fire gets managed. And the honest truth is that in, in slums anywhere in the world right now, the solution for fire is the same thing that it was when Nero was emperor in Rome. You pull houses down and create a fire break. And that's it. Uh, 2000 year old technology hooks and uh, hammers and you just start knocking houses down. And I thought that we've got in 2000 years, we've definitely got far more advanced with technology. Why is this not hitting these areas uh, when it comes to fire, fire solutions? Over a billion people today live in slums around the world. That's 15% of the population of the world. And it's set to go to 3 billion in 2050. So this isn't going away. This, this concentrated housing is not going to go away for people. And the, the risk of fire is real. So we looked at it and we were using some technology and we, we found a way to experiment with drones where we can uh, basically create what we call a brigade, but we create a, uh, a hive, if you will, of a number of different types of drones. We have large drones that will carry somewhere around 50 liters of water each or, or water agent each. And we bring several of them up to 10 uh, to, to attack the fire from up high. And then we use other drones that we use for air traffic control and for thermal imaging so that we can monitor where the fire is and where the heat signatures are. Is it increasing in heat? Is it going down? We have some other technology we're using um, from Thailand and some other places that are able to attack the fires. But the idea here is that slums are impossible to work with because the source for water is too far away for, for firefighters to bring in their equipment and the streets are too narrow. But the drones were able to drop over a thousand liters per hour of, of material on the fire to be able to at least bring it down to a level where we can then attack it with other agents as well. So we, so this is the first, we're, we've, we, we don't like to be first. We like to be the first in a market, but we don't want to be the first, but this is the first that we've, we've been able to find. And I would love if somebody hears this and knows of somebody else doing it, I'd love to hear it, but we've not found anyone else that's really been doing this sort of work with slums anywhere else in the world. And we have a real, real strong, strong opportunity to do this with the county of Nairobi uh, and to start really affecting people's lives in a positive way. That's just one of the projects. But yes, that's a that's my, one of my favorites, Tommy, for sure. So when you sit there, do, uh, is your head filled with so many ideas where you have a testing oh, yeah. lab in your head? Or at what point do you sit there and say, let's try this idea? When, let's put some money in that. What's that thinking that goes on in your head? I don't know. I mean, we have, we have uh, several ways that we do this. Um, there's a methodology called agile, which is used often in software development. Um, it's so if, if somebody is familiar with, with being a developer or a graphics designer, agile is a word that they're used to using, but the idea of agile methodology is that you're going to want to set a journey, not a destination. 
And so we talk often about the idea of a project versus a program. A project is always something that has a beginning and an end. A program is something that you launch on a journey and you're following that journey until it doesn't make sense to walk anymore. And then you probably wind it down. Agile is about the journey, not the project. And so we take innovation in that methodology. So we use agile methodology in our product development or our planning and how we do ideas. So we throw a million ideas. We've got a project list of 70 some different ideas, different, different um, uh, potential things that we could work on that's sitting there that, that we come to every so often and pull something out and say, let's go, go check this out for a while. But then we live on it only for a short period of time. Now, if it continues to make sense to keep going, we do. If it doesn't, we throw it back up on the shelf. We grab another one down. We start playing with that for a while. So we have like the biggest ADHD organization, I think, that you can imagine. We're testing stuff. We're researching stuff. We're playing with stuff. We're launching things. But we don't do it in a in a straight line. We're doing it up as a prioritized group, right? So whatever's demanding the most attention or should have the most attention in the moment, we do it. Got it, got it, got it, got it. And when you do that, there's a certain type of team member that you have to hire, right? Because yeah. not a lot of people yep. can function in that environment. Like, no. what, what's the type of personality that works best for you? Well, you know, teams are awesome because when you build a team, you want to build a composition that's not all uh, the same, right? You don't want a homogenous team. You know, you want a team that's got real diversity. And so we often talk about the idea of experiencers versus planners. And that's one way that we look at it, right? So when you when you imagine trying to climb a mountain, okay, Tommy, I know you're an adventurer, so we're going to talk about a mountain for a minute. But if you imagine like climbing a mountain, okay, and there are two types of people, we're being very general here, two types of people, that's, that's it in the world. Uh, now I'm in trouble by everybody, but we'll just go that way for now. Okay, so an ex we have an experiencer and a planner. A planner wanting to climb that mountain will do what? They'll go, they'll look at the library, they'll, now I'm old, they'll go online, they'll search, they'll try to figure out, okay, what are the best paths up the mountain? What kind of equipment should I bring? Do I have the right clothing? Do I have my phone in case I need to call for help? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They go to climb the mountain. And then when they get to the halfway point of the mountain, there's a log that's, that's covering the, the, the path and they can't go any further. A planner at that point will usually re reverse course, go back and have to replan a route because they've they've now had their plan disrupted. Planners, however, are really good at bringing all the good stuff to the party. Okay, now that you have an experiencer, an experiencer is sitting at breakfast, looks at the mountain and decides to walk over and go up it. Oh my goodness, this is convicting to me to even talk about this, but yes, this is there are experiencers out there on the and they'll probably spend 30 minutes trying, trying to walk around the mountain, finding the right path to, to go up, but they'll pick the first one they find and go up. They won't even know if it's a path up the mountain. It might be a goat trail to a farm, but they're going to go up that path. And they're probably going to see a bunny as they head up and, and think that's a really cool selfie. So they're going to move over there and take a selfie and they might drop their phone and then they have to go climb down and get their phone. You, you get the point on that. I mean, the, the experiencer is all about the adventure that's going on and getting up the mountain. It will be a broad stroke of luck for that experiencer to get to the top of the mountain. They might end up three mountains over because they just were following whatever was drawing their interest. Now, these two people are diametrically different in how they approach it. 
But there is a way that you can take about 90% planners and 10% experiencers and bring them together. And you will create the most optimized team to be able to get to the top of the mountain successfully. Because you can play the strengths of each of those two types of resources into each other. The key, though, and this is really crucial, and when we train on this, we, we talk about this, urgently talk about this. You have to give space to the other team. Correct, correct, correct. Right? So a planner is going to say, Andrew, and I'm not saying this is a fictitious Andrew, let's say, who's the experiencer. <laughs> uh, Andrew, you have from 9 o'clock in the morning until 9.30 to go from this point to this point on the mountain. You have to be there at 9.30, go. Now the experiencer has to lead. The person who's the planner cannot get in the way during that point. But the experiencer has to deliver on getting there at 9.30, right? So there's this trust bond and there's this engagement between the two different sides. And if you can get a team to do it right, it's perfect. People climb the mountain with more speed than you'll ever find. And they do it successfully with anything thrown in their way. And it's not just a mountain, it's life. And we find that we can do this with families. We can do this with churches. We can do this with companies. We can do this with startups. We can do this with Fortune 500 companies. It's not just the experiencers and the planners, but it's the engagement between different, different types of people and personas and being able to get them to engage together and work as a team. That matters. But at the same time, wouldn't you say you need a team leader like yourself who lives in both worlds? Now you oh yeah, yeah. One system, yep. but who knows how to get everyone working together and learn how to communicate? Yep. So you have that biased project manager, whatever it is, who understands both. Worlds. You have to have somebody who is willing to push the first lot, yeah. right? So, so the person who is willing to take the first step is your team leader. That is something you can't train. You need to find a person that can do that. Correct, correct. And the per and there are more people out there that can do it. This maybe I'm speaking beyond you on this, but there are more people out in the world who are able to do that than do today. They just haven't found their voice yet. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a fear or something other than that that will stir inside of them and keep them from taking that step. But man, I'm telling you, like those individuals are precious gold in this world because we spend so much time thinking about it and really acting is a great thing to do. You know, I so I always think James sort of gets a raw deal in the, the Bible because he talks about doing things. But like, I tend to live a lot on the idea of seeing, seeing truth or trying to identify facts or, or what's real going on. And because I deal with research and development and new products, I have to find and discover things that exist. And so in that, I find action drives reality a lot more than words do. And so finding somebody who will be willing to act is always the first step, Tony, in any yeah. in any of these successful programs, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. So in some sense, even as you look at an example, you had to use Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer to the king. Yes. Because he looked at the walls. Love that. The walls. Oh, I love because that. That's better. Networking experience, all that stuff to get all these guys to creatively work together to build this wall. Yep, yep. And Ezra had to be there too, but Nehemiah yes. got it done. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's a that's way better. I'm going to use that one for now. <laughs> uh, so, Andrew, I mean, even for you, with what you guys are doing with your company, is what is your journey? Is, is there a place that you want to end up at? At the end of the day, are you creating all these things to create revenue? Is 
What is that? What is what are you hoping to accomplish through all this? Yeah, fantastic question. I mean, we we have a portfolio organization, which means that we're as committed ourselves to being diversified as we are about finding ways to create diversified teams. And a big chunk of our organization is what we're calling low profit uh, humanitarian work. So we're very interested in, we don't want to say nonprofit because I think there's a stigma in terms of business communities around nonprofits, and we are not a nonprofit in the traditional sense, but we're not interested in trying to turn some of these programs into revenue producing vehicles for Elevate either. We want to create new products, new systems, but more importantly, new applications of groups and individuals. So we're on the human side of digital transformation. We want to get people tied into this. And so our objective is not about creating revenue for ourselves, but about finding ways that we can help organizations implement, adopt, and transform using this new technology. And we're we're really more about doing that on the front end for humanitarian organizations right now than we have, yeah. than I think we are in any other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we talked about this. Part of this uh, podcast that we're doing is going to be shown throughout all of the Wheaton Network for students oh, yeah, to sit yeah. there. Uh, some of our, you have the Indonesians on it, but some of our students at Wheaton College are sitting there and they're trying to figure out what major to get. Now, what would your advice be for them? Wow. What major to get? Or um, mostly in terms of life. Like, as you try to figure out what to do with your life, what, where to go with your life. How do they think outside the box, like how you live your life? So it's interesting because I have two, I have twin, twin sons who are headed off to university this fall for the, for their first year. And so this is sort of a meaningful <laughs> question personally, uh, as well as, as, as just sort of a general question. But I would say that the conversation I've had often with younger people as a, as a, a manager and as a, a business person is that, uh, my experience with education is that it teaches us how to be the right person. And one of the things I love about Wheaton College is the idea that it's it's really determinedly focused on the individual as a person and training the individual to be a, per, a productive person in this world. And so learning how to do, I don't know, high high level calculus or um, being taught engineering skills is super important, and I would never diminish that from a vocational perspective. But I think the most important thing is to figure out who you are and how you learn, because learning is a full-time job for the rest of your life. You don't finish at the end of college. You're going to have to be a learner, and you're going to, and especially now with AI and all the other technology that's coming, Tommy, the world's going to be so different in five years. It'd be dangerous to say do this. I think yeah. it's. It's find a way to become an, a, a permanent student for the rest of your life that you enjoy doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And helping them how to think through some of those things. Right. Even yep. if you fail, that's fine. What was your thought process in thinking through some of those things? Oh, yeah. And I mean, look, I, I had economics, Asian studies, and Japanese majors in college. I was a very, I mean, for the guy, for a guy who's as creative, and, and I was a singer and, and played sports and did everything else too, but that, that was like, total linear career path, right? Yeah. So everything you've heard on this podcast up until this point has been this creative bounce all over the place. Yeah. In college, I had a straight line and then I abandoned all of it yeah. at the end to, to chase a different opportunity and it was worth every minute. The thing I walked out of St. Olaf with was the opportunity to understand how to read, how to think critically and how to be able to communicate yeah. and yeah. listen yeah. to people as part of communication. 
being able to listen and be able to respond with information and process and, and, and create teams. Yeah. yeah. Okay. One last question. You talked about twin boys as well too, going to college. Mm. Do you manage, manage or train each of your boys differently? Like in some sense? Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah for you sure. guys to think through some of those things. You know, when, when uh, it was a surprise for us to have twins and, and when we found out, uh, you know, and I'm probably getting in trouble for saying this, but you know, I was like, cool, this is gonna be a science experiment, you know, nature versus nurture sort of thing, right? Because they're gonna have the exact same life growing up. So what's gonna be different? And uh, they're fraternal twins, they're not identical twins, but uh, I'm telling you, boy, watching the personalities, they are completely different personalities, watching them grow and mature and become who they are has been fascinating because it, if you're not a believer, before you have children, watching a child develop into a young adult is a more than a minor miracle. Yeah. I mean, there is a spark of a soul that you watch mature and develop that, that you can't prove is anything other than divinely created because they are two people who have had the same life growing up from day one until now. And they are so wildly different and exceptionally incredible in their different ways. And they, and that is not because we split them up and taught them differently. It's because they are who they are on the inside because they have a creator. We're just the parents who are their first and probably most significant teachers. That's all we are in this situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Andrew, thank you so much. I learned a lot from you and look, it's 41 minutes. All right. And so yeah. keep doing this again and we're going to have to do this again soon. I, well, I'm telling you, man, like getting to meet you in the last couple of weeks and having the opportunity to spend this time together, I'll be back anytime. You're a great guy. Thank I'm you. having fun, man. Well, you know, I think a lot of times talking with you is so, because a lot of times I find within the church world, they don't know what to do with someone like me. And so mm -hmm. sometimes I get sidelined because I'm kind of off on all these different journeys. Right. <laughs> I, I don't follow a rule or a playbook. So half the time he said, yeah, we have no idea what to do with you here. That's great. You know, they didn't know what to do with John the Baptist either. And he kind of came out okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tommy, you take care. Talk soon.